0: of god and uh, we're going to talk about the kingdom of god as a government that's uh that's an interesting concept because people always talk about the kingdom of god as some place you go when you die but in actuality if you actually read the bible it's it's about government the bible is about forms of government good forms of government bad forms of government it's also about morality because all governments don't guarantee the morality of the people. Uh, the uh, you know there there are lots of quotes about uh, different forms of government: socialism, democracies, uh, republics, communist governments, and of course then there's anarchism, which is supposedly no government. Well, actually, anarchism isn't really about no government; it's about no rulers. No matter where you go, there is some form of government, even for yourself. I mean, you govern yourself. You make choices. You establish criteria for yourself. Just if you were on a desert island, there would be government. You would be the head of the government and you would be uh, the subject of government. Government is the way in which you govern yourself. Now, when you come together with other people, uh, you can form different kinds of government. You can give other people around you some power of choice on your behalf, and uh, or maybe not. You can limit that choice. And the, the Bible, you know, it talks about government all the time. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times it mentions governments, good governments, bad governments. I mean, the first government we see, well, actually, you know, it depends on how you want to divide it up. I mean, the first government is man. Adam, dress it and keep it, God said. It gives you the garden, the earth, you know, with everything, and says dress it and keep it. Now, supposedly, man was also given at least one rule that he was not to eat of the tree, not an apple tree. <laughs> Saw another comedian talking about an apple tree uh, as if we ate an apple. It doesn't say anything about an apple in the Bible. This is all projected ideas from other people. But it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what is that tree? It's not an apple tree. It's a it's a. It's, you have to look at the Hebrew language and tree, and we have articles up on what the idea of a tree is, but it's a source, a source of wood, a source of food, or, you know, like apples and oranges and, and nuts and all kinds of different things you can get out of different trees, and so it's a source in, in the supposed primitive man, but in, in the... Uh, life of the natural man, a tree is a source. So you're not to eat of the source of good and evil. You are to eat of the tree of life. So there was a tree of knowledge of good and evil, and there was a tree of life. And that tree of life really represents the Holy Spirit. And we lost access to the tree of life when we started eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But if we'd eaten of the tree of life, we would be holding dominion over the fishes, over the trees, over the uh, plants and animals that creepeth upon the earth. And we would hold that dominion for the purposes of dressing and keeping it. That's The natural man. That's the first government. But men ate of the tree of knowledge. They evidently, according to the story of Cain, brutalized their brother, their fellow man, and uh, exercised authority over him in that brutalization. The the mirror, if you actually follow the story, we won't get into it in too much detail, but if you actually go back to the Hebrew and follow the story, we've got this uh, Abel who was a shepherd. Again, these are metaphors for what kind of person Abel was. Cain plowed the Adama, the earth. You know, when you plow, you, you turn it over, you do it in straight lines, you know, where you're cutting to the soil and flipping it over and you're planting in rows. You're organizing the plants. See, in in the forest, the trees are all over the place, but you go to some of the forests in uh, Germany and the trees, you go into the forest and the trees are just in an absolute straight line everywhere because they planted the forest. They put everything in rows. So these are concepts and precepts of the kind of, and the way in which Abel governed and Cain governed. Well, Cain created the first city-state. And, of course, Nimrod created a city-state, and and Ur was a city-state. And, and when Terah uh, left Ur with his whole family, took possession of his family, which evidently in the city-state he didn't have possession of his, of his family, because it says he took possession of his family, and they went off, and they started a city-state called Haran. Abraham left or left Haran, and did not create a city-state. Instead, he set up altars. Those altars were a substitute for the city-state. Uh, Victor Hugo once said, society is a republic. And what he's talking about is, you know, the basic elements of society, people coming together, is a republic. Now, today when we say the word republic, people, you know, when we say the word religion, which, like I, I've told you many times, only appears five times in the Bible. Government appears like 700 times. Forms of government, kingdoms, etc., appears hundreds and hundreds of times. Uh, but a republic, in a republic, the leaders are titular, which means in name only. They, they don't have any power in a pure republic. Now, in the process of the decay of a republic, the leaders become more and more powerful. But that's because the republic is becoming something else. And the United States is not a republic. According to the United States Creed, the United States is a democracy within a republic. And a lot of people say, oh, I've never heard that before. Well, that's in the U.S. creed, that's been around for over 100 years. And they said in the creed that I believe in the United States a democracy within a republic. And the United States, of course, when it was first formed, was actually only on that uh, 10-square-mile piece of ground that we called the uh District of Columbia, and the states were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. That's a quote right out of uh Clark's summary of u s American law, a book used to teach uh, law for over a hundred years in America, still available in libraries that the states were as foreign to each other even after the Constitution of the United States, which didn't begin with the end of the Revolution. It came much later. That Constitution of the United States, even after it was implemented, you had a Congress sitting in, senators sitting in, a president and everything, the states were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. Well, those are separate countries. Now, that changed over a period of time, and and one of the drastic changes came out of the Civil War. But the reality is, in a republic, the leaders were only titular. They, They could only do so much. Now, there were some powers given to government by the states when the states ratified, but the states had a limited amount of power because they were mostly republics, to greater or lesser degrees, but they were very much republics. They elected leaders, but the leaders' power was titular. Most of the power was in the hands of the people. But most of the responsibility for governing society was in the hands of the people. That doesn't mean that they had the right to vote. That means they had the right to, you know, like charity, taking care of the, you know, welfare. The welfare of society was almost entirely in the hands of the people. And they dealt with that uh, need, that natural need in society for some sort of system of welfare, mostly through churches or philanthropic organizations with religious overtones and, and re- religious criteria. I mean, the, the Quakers called themselves friends. They were very charitable group went out of their way to help people not only in the Quaker community but outside of the Quaker community. And and a lot of the churches did this. Because they knew that the definition of religion was the performance of their duty to God and their fellow man, so they knew that when they went to church, they went to church to help and to serve others. Not only in their church, but other churches as well. If all you know about church and religion comes from movies, (laughs) because they can't teach it in public school, most of you don't go to private schools, and most private religious schools are promoting the religion that created them. They're not even telling you what the definition of religion was 200 years ago. You think today religion is what you think about God. Well, you also think a republic is an indirect democracy. A republic is not a democracy. There's a certain democratic element in it. You can elect leaders, but the leaders are titular in name only. They have no personal power over the individual's rights and freedom. You have to change things for the government to give the power to do certain things. You know, when Israel was created, it was a republic, and they took care of all the social welfare through this group of people called the Levites. And, of course, you know, they personally helped, you know, their neighbors and stuff. They didn't always have to go through the Levites, but the Levites were part of these living altars, like what Abraham was doing when he was setting up altars, somebody was quoting me and when I, I said that uh, when this army came through and captured cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Christian man, they go into these cities, they, they, they breach the city walls, they get into the cities, they, they go around in bands and they just take what they want. If there's any gold around, they take the gold, or if there's any silver around, they take the silver, they may you know, violate the women, uh, they'll take uh, uh cattle and, you know, they'll all have feasts and eat and everything, and then they'll drive the cattle and and load up all the gold and silver and anything of value that they can take, and they take it. And occasionally they will take people as slaves. They will take them to come back to their country and work for them. They'll be slaves. You know, I saw, uh, briefly, I saw part of a video that was talking about all the atrocities that uh, the the new American settlers perpetrated on the Indians. And they were just going down all these terrible events that took place that were abusive to the native inhabitants of America. And I thought, this this guy is just preaching hate. Because he's not telling, you know, he's complaining that a lot of these stories are not included in modern history books. You know that they have, you know, of course, when they're teaching history to grade school kids, they talk about the Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. But then he makes it out like, you know, they were going around just murdering Indians left and right, and they weren't. Now. When we got here, when Americans, the new settlers, the immigrants who came to this country got here, the very first ones were annihilated by Indians. You just murdered them, killed them, Roanoke. But even before Roanoke, you know, the people who would land along the shorelines. uh, The Indians were actually murdering each other as well. There were warring tribes from one end of the the coast to the other, and in the same way going out towards the plains. They would, I mean, the first time they came upon, I think it was the Cherokee Indians, uh, with Lewis and Clark's expedition, they had just been raided by the Blackfeet, who took all the good-looking women and took whatever they had that was of value and, and, and killed and murdered, and they were in a poor state because another group of Indians had savagely attacked them. that The reason people came together in these tribes were to prevent other tribes, bigger tribes, from destroying them. And, you know, we actually have some of this up on the Internet. Uh, it, you know, we took a look at the Constitution, the, you know, the Pine Tree Constitution of the Indians that was supposedly written on Wampum, you know, centuries before the white man even came to America. And in their translation of this wampum constitution included the principle of manifest destiny. And the people did not submit to that Indian constitution, they had a right to conquer those people, completely conquer them, even enslave them, and take away all their means of self-defense you know their their weaponry and even abuse them for a generation or more if they did not submit to the so that's manifest destiny so the indians already had all these concepts of abuse and everything I mean, the indians were capturing people and holding them for ransom capturing other indians and enslaving them uh this was a, this is a common practice now all indians weren't bad It's the same as all white people who came here to America, or black people who came here to America, were not bad. It doesn't have anything to do with race, or from Europe, or from Saskatchewan, or from wherever. Good people and bad people are where you find them. That's just the way it is. Morality is an individual choice. It doesn't have anything to do with nationality or system of government or any of those things has to do with the way in which you govern yourself. And so when we talk about forms of government, and and people actually talk about capitalism as an example, as a form of government. Capitalism is an economic system that affects uh, part of society. It doesn't It's it's not a government. A government, uh, a way in which people govern themselves may include the concept of capitalism. And there's so many people on the Internet now, uh, in the world today, whether they're on the Internet or not, is superfluous, but uh, who think capitalism is some sort of bad, wicked thing because they see evil being done by men who say they are capitalists so if you go to our capitalism page uh, you know I have a new section that I expanded it's mostly quotes has a couple of I had a couple of videos there that were from uh, uh, you know some guys who are making really interesting and good well thought out videos short five minute videos Uh, I think Uh, Prager University Uh, and they're uh, putting them up on the internet and they're very informative they're very enlightening a lot of them I haven't seen them all so I can't speak about them all so I had two of those up there but I had no text there so I went through and I I took a bunch of different quotes concerning capitalism and I put a few in of my own uh, there is no real purpose included in the concept of capitalism. Capitalism is not a form of government. It's not. It's not. Uh, you know, it's, it doesn't have any constitution or anything. It's just an economic system where the means of production, in the most basic form, the definition is the means of production, belong to the individual. And what is the means of production? It is the individual, your labor, your right to work, your right to expend energy, the right to govern yourself and, and, and how you expend that energy. That's yours. That's one of the basic inalienable rights of the individual is, you know, what you do with your life. Every heartbeat that allows you to move about on this planet is your labor to walk down the street, to walk in the woods, it's, that's your right to move about and to use that energy as wisely or as foolishly as you wish to do. And you will suffer the consequences of those choices. Other people may also suffer the consequences, of, but at least you will suffer the consequences of your choices, of how you expend your energy. In the original dictate of God, you were to dress and keep this planet upon which he puts you. So how do you do that? How do you go about doing that? That capitalism says you have the right to make that choice, and you have control over the means of your production. Now that... May not be You may not have been born in capitalism. You may have been born in slavery. But the concept of capitalism says that that right is in the hands of the individual. Now, some people expanded that and say it's also in the hands of corporations, and they gave a uh, persona identification to a corporation. But that's something that's been added to the concept of capitalism. It wasn't originally there. You have to... Somebody has to give a corporation the status of person. And, of course, with the 14th Amendment, the United States federal government, federal government, United States federal government gave that status to a corporation. That's important to understand. That wasn't there originally. Somebody gave that to them. Now, corporations have been around for a long time. They're the product of contracts. But contract does not give the right to a corporation to be a person. That had to be done by somebody else. The people who came together and contracted, they had rights to do so. But to give a status to the corporation itself, to breathe life into it and say it is a person. And we talk about this in a lot of places. One of the places is the article on Golem, G-O-L-E-M, Go read that because that's what a golem is. It's a corporation. That's what a corporation is. It's a golem. Same thing. It's you breathe life into it by contract, and then somebody like the federal government comes along and gives it the status of person, and says that it has rights as a person, just like a person has rights. That has nothing to do with capitalism. That is something that has been added to the definition of capitalism. A leader, uh, by the name of Nehru, said, Democracy and socialism are means to an end, but not the end itself. And, of course, Karl Marx said, Democracy is the road to socialism, and socialism, he says, leads to communism. So we have to realize that the good and bad in capitalism... It's dependent upon the people who practice. And we'll explain more about that and your alternatives when we come back to keep it going. Welcome back to Keys the Kingdom. Um, we we're talking about this idea of of capitalism and, and socialism. Socialism is not just an economic system. Socialism is also a political system. And it has because it capitalism simply says what is yours is yours. What you produce with what you find and obtain is yours. You have property rights. Property rights are simply rights that are proper. If you plant a tree and you water the tree and you grow up the tree and everything you can say, this fruit of this tree is what I have produced. You plant a carrot, you water a carrot, you cultivate a carrot. It's right that you have this. And if you do this in a particular area, you may have property rights to that land upon which you have tilled the soil. Uh, Even the Indians had property rights. They usually had tribal property rights, hunting rights. And Indians would attack other tribes that were hunting in their area. And they would, you know, fight them and kill them and attack their tribe. Oh, we saw some of your tribe hunting in our area, and it's always been our area on the side of the river. So they had property rights. They didn't have a lot of individual property rights, but they had some. I mean, basically, you know, if they planted a field, they had a right to the crop. But because they often moved the fields around and they moved the different areas around, they didn't seem to have the individual as well organized property rights. Uh, you have rights of passage, rights of trails. And still today in England, they have ancient trails that nobody built a road on, but there's still a trail there. And people hike those trails every year. And if uh, somebody who owns the land they're hiking across puts up a fence and doesn't include a gate at that trail spot, they cut the fence and they put in a gate. They have, and, and the the owner can't do anything about it because they have a right to travel down that path, that trail. It's been established before that guy. Came there and cultivated that ground. You can't, you can't exclude the right of travel down these paths because they had already been in use by the people and they document all this and they keep them open. In America we have federal government and state governments occasionally uh, closing roads and access to the forest and they say they can do this. Well, Americans, you know, they get up in arms and they protest and they have demonstrations and they tear down gates and barricades and things like that. That's not, you know, that's that's the rebel instinct in us. What we should be doing is simply traveling those roads and establishing those rights of way and making a record of the fact that we're using those roads and get together... And take the federal government to court and fight them in court, Uh, but do it wisely. And this is what we're going to get into eventually is how do you govern yourself when somebody forms a government that is tyrannical, that is taking away rights or seems to be taking away rights. Most people, people go around and say taxation is theft. That is ridiculous. Now, there may be some theft involved in the collection of taxes. Uh, just, I mean, there's, there's trillions of dollars that go missing in the government all the time. That's probably all stolen. <laughs> I
1: mean,
0: uh, I, maybe not all of it. Maybe some of it's just bad bookkeeping. But the reality is, is, yeah, there's theft involved in taxation, but taxation itself is not theft. It's the result of a contract. So how do we govern ourselves to maintain the original rights and freedom that God gave us, those inalienable rights that everybody thinks they still have? Now, you may have a right, but you just don't have an access to the exercise of that right. And we'll we'll get into that as well. But we're going to be talking about forms of government and things that are not governments and economic systems and all these things. And, of course, because we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're going to try to lead you on a path, show you a path that takes you back to being a free man under God. You can't just jump there. You have to follow a path. And you got to where you are by following paths. And now you want to get back to that original state of freedom under God. You want to get back to the garden of paradise where you have dominion, where there is no city state you can't just tear down the city-state. There's no place in the Bible where they talk about going and tearing down the city-state. I know there's there's inferences in the Old Testament that somehow Israel was going around conquering one city-state after another and and uh, subjecting the uh, population. Well, no, that's not actually what it's saying there. And the historical record doesn't show that that's what happened. What? Israel did was it came along with a superior system with a superior system of economy and economics and self-governance and and people and one city state after another said hey I want some of that I want to be like that I don't want we're, we're you know the average life expectancy in Canaan uh few people lived beyond 45 why because they were plagued with parasites where all these parasites came from they came from raising pigs and geese and ducks in the same place and uh and those parasites were passing and, and lack of hygiene uh feces was anywhere and everywhere uh Pigs were roaming anywhere and everywhere, and people were picking up these parasites that were killing Canaanites at early ages, 40, 45, crippling them. And we know this from the archaeological records of digging up the bodies. And we find that they were wracked with these parasites. Well, all of a sudden, the historical record shows that pig bones disappeared from the diet in some of these areas. Where they had been rampant, all of a sudden they disappeared. Why? Because Israelites wouldn't have anything to do with pigs or people who raised pigs. And people wanted to have something to do with the Israelites because the Israelites were coming in wealthy, healthy, and much wiser. Their families stuck together. What? Well, what? And they were invincible in a battle. Now, of course, there were governments in these places already, and they didn't like the Israelites because it, it, they were showing that you didn't need an authoritarian government that plowed your community and forced it into rows and subjected it to taxation. They, this was bad for tyranny business. And so they tried to attack the Israelites and of course the Israelites won hands down because of the fact that they had this superior system that produced a superior man and because the inferior systems of totalitarianism couldn't stand against them. But it's very clear that in the in the Israelite rules they could not oppress the stranger in their midst. Now it's very clear that at times they began to do that. But that was straying from the formula. Today, people are being raised up and they don't even know the formula to a free government. They don't even know what a free government is. They don't even understand capitalism or socialism or what a republic really was originally before people redefined it as an indirect democracy. And you can't fix stupid... Because they don't know these things but they think they do they are completely unwilling to see the truth about anything somebody was who evidently is from cuba i think he lives in canada now he was just advocating that cuba is wonderful because it does this and it does that and you know it signs some treaty with the united nations for women's human rights and all this stuff first to do that and and all kinds of things that it was first at and it had this little poster and it was saying how it was wonderful and I think they had a picture of uh, Castro and Che Guevara on the poster uh, they they don't understand history they don't understand reality I mean uh, well, it 1.5 million people escaped from Cuba to other countries if it's so wonderful why are they all trying to leave <laughs> so it, under life-threatening conditions, I mean, they're going out to sea in a, in a raft to escape, you've got to be desperate to do that. Abandoning everything, family and everything you had, you got to be desperate. There has to be something wrong in Cuba in order for that to happen. And also you can, you can look up human rights organizations all over the world or talking about the oppression that goes on in Cuba. And some things have improved, but it's still going on. Now, that doesn't mean that the United States today doesn't have human rights violations. I think you're going to see more and more of those. Just looking at the spirit of the people that are going out there. But, you know, we have an election going on in the United States now, and uh, I usually don't even mention the names of... candidates but just so you know if you listen to this much later the the election which is maybe one of the last elections we'll ever have in the united states for president uh is involving two running mates hillary clinton and uh donald trump and of course there are some other people uh libertarian candidate i can't even believe that he's a libertarian because he believes in forced vaccinations uh the guy seems to be a the brief few times I've heard him speak I thought he's a blooming idiot. Um but uh uh basically those two parties are the ones who control everything and it was probably if they both survive the election uh one of them will be the President of the United States and but what is really controlling the course of events in America? Is it who the president is? Is that really going to change things? I used to say when Ron Paul was running, what if he doesn't win? What are you going to do then? You had all these people just fanatically in favor of Ron Paul. And chances are if Ron Paul did win, he would have been assassinated. But the reality is, is that what are you going to do if he doesn't win? And that's what we really need to be talking about. No matter who wins the election, The fate of society and the nation in which there are multiple societies in in America, the fate is dependent upon the path you take as an individual. That's really the only choice you have is to follow a path that leads to liberty under God. Liberty in a moral sense. Because, you know, capitalism... You know, one of the videos that we have on the webpage on capitalism at preparingyou.com, uh, one of the videos is capitalism, moral or greedy? It's a question that's being asked and answered by Walter Williams, who's an economist at George Mason University. He uh, says, if it is based on greed and selfishness, What's the best alternative economic system? Perhaps socialism. And if capitalism is moral, what makes it so? Well, capitalism in itself is not a moral system. It's not an immoral system. It's simply back to what I said. It's the right to the ownership of the means of production, primarily your labor, because that's the primary means of production. I mean... You know, if you had a bunch of gold, and you had a bunch of silver, but you can't do anything. You can't move. You can't carry it. You can't walk around. All of which is labor. What you do, then, it has no value. It, 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 it only has value if you can do something with it. If you plant a tree, if you plant a crop, you have to. It's your labor that is the key element of the means of production. And uh, according to people like Winston Churchill, socialism is a philosophy of failure. The creed of ignorance and the gospel of envy, its inherent virtue is the equal sharing of misery. Capitalism is merely an economic system where the means of production, mostly your labor, belongs to you. You can use that system for whatever purpose you want, for good or bad for moral or immoral purposes. That's your choice. And unfortunately, a lot of people choose to use it for bad purposes. But then socialism can have the same immoral reality to it. And we'll talk about that and we'll show you how that creeps into whatever government you form. If you want to govern yourself morally, you will not have a moral government. If you govern yourself morally, if you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, which is a primary requirement in both Old and New Testament, you had to love your neighbor as yourself, in both Old and New Testament. People always think the Old Testament was about vengeance, and about control, about laws. The New Testament is about salvation. and No, they're both about salvation. Go back in the garden. It was about salvation. The instructions to dress it and keep it was about salvation. To eat of the tree of life rather than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was about salvation. About your liberty under God. So the whole book is talking about the, the government of salvation. How to govern yourself that leads to salvation, to be free souls under God, or to be subservient slaves, possessions, merchandise of the Nimrods of the universe, the Nimrods of your society. The rulers, Nimrod was a ruler who exercised authority. Cain was a ruler who exercised authority. And Jesus said, you are not to be like those governments of the other nations that exercise authority, one over the other. That's not the way you're supposed to be doing it. He's talking about another path. He's talking about another form of government, another kind of economy. But if you won't come together and love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to get this. You're not going to see it. I can explain it and explain it, but I can't fix stupid because that is stupid, It's not to come together. That is flat-out stupid, not to come together with other people and start learning what it means to caring about others as much as yourself. You know, one of the things Margaret Thatcher said about socialism is the problem with socialism is that you eventually run out of other people's money. And what she's talking about in socialism already assumes that what something of what is yours belongs to everybody. You, you don't have a right to the means uh, of uh, production. Everybody has a right to a little bit of a right or a great deal of a right to the means of your production, to your labor. Your labor is not your own. Now, really, your labor was a gift from God, and it is your own. You can be selfish with it, or you can be unselfish with it. And over and over again, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it tells you not to be selfish. I mean, they, taught, they never mention charity in the Old Testament, but they mention free will offerings, which is charity. And who do they go to? They go to this group of people they call the Levites, who were the government of Israel. When Alexander the Great came into Israel, the Levites came out to meet him. Why? Because they were the government. They could not exercise authority. They had no power to tax the people. They could not force the people to give one of those free will offerings, because it's not a free will offering, and they forced it. They couldn't do that. But they were part of the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, and they only received what the people chose to give them, and they only chose to give to those Levites they thought were doing a good job. What was their job? To tend to the tents of the congregation, you see the phrase tabernacles of the congregation, but the tabernacle of the congregation was the tenth of each individual family. They talk about them all being around the central tabernacle and everything, but of course they weren't always camping like that, they were a whole nation, they were in this town and that town and this town and over in that town and in this village and down in this valley and they were everywhere. But the Levites were tending to these individual homes. They were the altars of stone that were not hewn by rules of men. They just had to, if they were really caring about other people as much as they cared about themselves and being of service to other people, people would tie to them. And they would have the means of your production now because you gave it freely to them. For what purpose? For the moral purpose of strengthening the poor of society. They were health, education, and welfare for society. Entirely supported not by taxes, but by free will offerings. Given to the men who were doing the best job. And this bound a nation together... So that whoever attacked that nation could not defeat it. As soon as they strayed from that formula, things began to get worse. They were a viable republic in a world that was bent on chaos and totalitarianism. And that's what Israel was. And, that, and that's how they governed themselves. The early Christians did the same thing. Uh, Milton Friedman once said, history suggests that capitalism is a necessary condition for political freedom. Clearly, it is not sufficient condition. In other words, capitalism in itself, the right to own your own means of production, own your own property, own what you produce, in itself is, is not sufficient. As a government, it's not a government; it's just an aspect. Capitalism isn't the problem. Actually, the problem often is manifested in the lack of capitalism, <laughs> which the United States hasn't been a capital uh capitalist nation for a hundred years, because in order to you know when you when you don't own any if you're producing gold and silver which you consider a value, and somebody says you can't own that anymore, you can only use our paper notes, that's not capitalism. That's a socialist form of money. Uh, I mean, Spartans did it, all kinds of nations did it. Gold in the hands of the people is the enemy of the state. And what they're trying to do is move the rights of the individual into the hands of the state. Socialism is usually ruled by the state. A lot of times people want to think that the majority, democratic socialism works. Well, it works for a while, but the difference is, is the morality of the people. Morality and capitalism have nothing in common. Capitalism is just an institution. If it's going to be moral or immoral, it depends on what's in the hearts of the people, and this is why the kingdom of heaven was within you. The kingdom of heaven requires the morality of Christ. You have to come to serve and care about others as much as you care about yourself. But if you don't want to gather together, if you want to forsake the gathering together of implementing these systems of self-governance, which you can do right now, you don't have to wait for the election. You can do it right now by gathering together in congregations and starting to care about people as much as you care about yourself. Now, you get to exercise a certain amount of discretion in this process. But you have to work at it. Capitalism allows you to own what you produce with your own labor. But you must also labor to wisely share what you produce. Otherwise, it may end up owning you that's your possessions may end up owning you and con- controlling the way you think the way you act the way you treat one we're going to talk about that past when we come back to
2: You can also find us on the web at www.isholychurch.net.
0: Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about this idea of uh, different forms of government, ones that lead to freedom and ones that lead to bondage. And, of course, it says uh, in the Bible that uh, to covetous practices you will be made merchandise. Well, if you're merchandise, you do not own the means of production. Somebody owns you. You're merchandise. And, of course, that's really what socialism is all about. That's what communism leads to, um, or that's what communism is, is that you are a slave of the state. And your labor is not yours anymore. Whatever you produce, somebody can take it away. I mean, what they take away of what you produce, that's your sweat and blood. That's your sacrifice. You know, most people are completely oblivious to the fact that the reason Saul's kingdom was going to fall, the reason it lost the blessings of God was because of the fact that he forced a sacrifice. He taxed the people. That was the first tax in Israel is when he forced a sacrifice for a good cause, but still he forced it. And because he did this, this foolish thing, his right to rule as king, which he shouldn't have had that position to begin with, but that's where the people went when they rejected God. You know, socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. Religion, of course, was not... A belief in God, religion, was how you provided for the needy of your society. It was your social welfare system. That, that's what religion was. That's why the public temples of Rome were welfare, part of the welfare system. And that's why Christians were persecuted, because they would not join the public institutions. They wouldn't become members of the social welfare systems. And because they weren't members, they didn't have to pay in. And they wanted them to pay in, so they, had, they were forcing them to join. I mean, the persecutions in 200 A.D. were because they outlawed private religion, private welfare. That's what religion was, is a private welfare system. That's what the Levites were. They were a welfare system waiting upon the tents of the people. Now, this is just information going out to a few people that are listening on this broadcast and will hear the recordings eventually. But if you don't gather together and form that welfare system that religion is meant to be and start taking care of at least somebody, now that, who you take care of may change because you start seeing this person is indulging in immoral activity. You know, well, I can't support that. You know, I'm not paying for this woman's abortion. She's sleeping around with all these different guys. She won't stay married to her husband. Her husband won't stay married to her. She drives men away because she's a, whatever. I'm not going to pay for her abortion. But if she repents and starts doing what Christ would expect of her, well, maybe I'll help her raise her child. Maybe. The choice remains with you, how you want to invest in your society. But you need to do that. You need to gather together and start investing in a society that starts following the way of Jesus Christ. And that is the process of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But if you don't gather together for that purpose, if you're only gathering together because he thinks about God like I think about God, he says the doctrines that I think are important, then you've, you've reduced religion down to what you think about God. But that's not what religion is, and it's certainly not pure religion. Pure religion is how you relate to the widows and orphans and needy of your society. That's pure religion. And it's pu- only pure if you do it unspotted by the world, which means without the help of the constitutional order or system of government of Rome or the United States or Canada or Australia. So if you're gathering together and you think you're the church established by Jesus Christ, but you're not taking care of all the social welfare of the people that are in your network of congregations, you haven't arrived yet. You're a long way. You're falling short of the gospel of the kingdom. And you still have need of more repentance. And, of course, I don't know any Christian group that's going to be entirely dependent that way. I mean, some Amish churches get, kind of get close to it, but I, I don't know. I don't know all churches and religions, but I don't see any preachers preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I don't see any preachers doing that. None. Not on any radio station anywhere. Now, they might be around. Most of them are all preaching to you about, oh, you got to think this about God. You know, you know, like they already have them. If you have a social security number, you have the mark of the beast. You have it now. If you use it in any way, shape, or form, you have the mark of the beast. Now, you already got it, and are dependent upon it. That's, that's a done deal. That's, that's not without question. A lot of people are going to argue that. They're going to complain about that, but that's the case. You already have the mark of the beast. You're already, your, your social security number is your federal employee identification number. It is a social security number, and it is a federal employee identification number and if you're a federal employee, then your labor portion of your labor belongs to the federal government. The federal government started out pretty small had two little horns of authority but now it's gigantic and it devours who it will and you got to have the number if according to section six 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 of uh, Title 8 Title 42? Title 42, Section 666. And there's actually there's another Section 666 and another title. <laughs> it's very interesting that I stumbled on just about a week ago. Uh, I didn't number these things. They were numbered after the laws were passed. This is the way in which they've been codified. And if somebody has a sense of humor, I, I and I don't know how they came around with that number. But the reality is you already have the mark of the beast. You don't need a chip. Don't wait for the chip. You know, they may come along with a chip, but you already have the mark of the beast. Is it fully implemented? Pretty close, pretty close. People say, well, I can still buy and sell without it. You go live without the use of a Social Security number and try to raise a family. And you tell me, how much you can buy and sell. You know, the idea is that you've got to have the number to get into the marketplace. You can't have a bank account. can't have an ID. can't have uh, debit cards. You can't have any of these things without that number. You could die without that number, and that's what the prophecy is, is that you might not live if you don't have the number. You might die without that number. And that's a real possibility right now. You don't have to wait for that. That's a real possibility now. If they go to food rationing, it's going to even become uh, more critical. And by the time it gets there, it'll be too late for most of you to gather together. You'll have days and you'll be starving. (laughs) And they could be implemented overnight. Meanwhile, you're arguing about what you think about God as you think religion is. no. It's about coming together and actually loving your neighbor, caring about your neighbor. We have been a socialist nation here in America for a 100 years. We're just getting more and more socialist. You know, it's kind of like being pregnant. Once you're pregnant, you're pregnant. But about eight or nine months into it, you're very pregnant. <laughs> You know, and that's just the way it is. I mean, that's the progression. Well, you're very socialist now. Public schools, socialist. Your money, socialist. You know, I mean, all ten planks of the Communist Manifesto are law of the United States and in most countries today. You're not a capitalist nation. You're not a free government. You're not a free people. You're back, you're merchandise. And you got your merchandise number. That identifies you as merchandise. You can't just throw away the number. You have to turn around and think a different way. You have to start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. If you're not going to do that, I can't help you. Because you can't think stupid. And that is stupid. you got to go the way of the good shepherd. The way of Abel. The way of Shem, the way of Abraham, the way of Moses, the way of Jesus Christ. Because they're all the same. You wouldn't know it from what you've been taught about the Bible, but it's true. The inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings. The inherent virtue of socialism is the equal sharing of misery. You know, you actually switch that around. That's somebody else's quote. That's not me. Um, uh, Alex uh, de Tocqueville, who was uh, uh, kind of a historian and, and political analyst uh, of many years ago, said democracy and socialism have nothing In common, but one word. Equality. But notice the difference. While democracy seeks equality in liberty, socialism seeks equality in restraint and servitude. Because everybody, you know, from each according to his ability. And, and, you know, they, they just... The idea is that you're going to take from other people. Of course, Ian Rand, you know, wrote the book Capitalism, uh, The Unknown Deal. It says, uh, America's abundance was created not by public sacrifices to the common good, but by the productive genius of free men who pursued their own personal interests and the making of their own private fortunes. They did not starve the people to pay for Americans' industrialization. They gave the people better jobs higher wages, cheaper goods, and every new machine they invented with every scientific discovery or technological advance, and thus the whole country was moving forward and profiting, not suffering, every step of the way. Was there injustice? Absolutely. Was there abuse? Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's just the way it works. Uh, we were a republic originally, and we were moving away from it by 1860, which is long before Ian ran. We were moving away from that. We were moving away from it back. I can show you places in history in 1848 and and uh, 1835, 36, uh, where we were taking steps away from the freedom, away from the kingdom of God, and moving more and more into a system of bondage. And the whole world has followed suit because we were the strongest nation in the world, the most powerful nation in the world, the most amazing nation in the world, but because we began with the roots of a republic where the individual responsibilities were shouldered by people who were willing to accept those individual rights and responsibilities as co relative. Tocqueville also said the American Republic will endure until today Congress discovers that it can bribe the public with the public's money. And of course, we saw—if you go and read our little article on Davy Crockett, which has been around for a long time—you'll uh, see that th- this idea of the government providing for the welfare of the people was creeping in already back in the days of Davy Crockett. Now he stood up against it. Today he would be laughed out, I mean, he would be shunned in the press, absolutely as a deplorable, selfish individual. But he made a good point back then. Uh, But the idea is that he was Fostering which were common, where he got them from the people themselves, is, is almost completely gone from America. And you're about to enter into election booths with millions upon millions of mindless, stupid people. They don't have to be stupid. They could wise up. But right now they are ignorant and foolish people because they want to take they want to force the offerings of their neighbor they want to oppress the people they don't know it's the old red button thing you know if you push this button you'll get a million dollars but somebody somewhere will die but you don't even know somebody somewhere you don't even know will die but you'll get you know better make it a hundred million (laughs) dollars hundred million dollars inflation you know and then of course the guy eventually in the story pushes the button and the guy shows up instantly with a check for a hundred million dollars and then then he's supposed to take the little box with the red button in it he's taking it away and they say well what are you going to do with that he says I'm going to give it to somebody you absolutely do not know and evidently when he pushes the red button you will die (laughs) (laughs) and that's the deal. You, You think it's okay to take from your neighbor because you have a want or a need. That's covetousness, and that is a crime. People say that taxation is theft. No, it's not. Wrong commandment. Taxation is covetousness, forcing your neighbor to offer his blood and sweat and tears for your benefit, for the benefit of anybody else, the you know, benefit of your conscience. You know, rich people are often socialists, especially, you know, like rich media people who got rich for, you know, acting. <laughs> I'm not saying they, they didn't work hard, but uh, it's ridiculous the amount of money you can make for being an actor. You know, if you if you hit the big time, I mean, most actors are poor, but if you hit the big time, you get all this money, and those are often going to be socialist in their thinking. It's simply to alleviate their own guilt. If they want to alleviate their own guilt, why don't they put their money in a trust so that they know that they're covered, they, they will have, you know, and live like everybody else. I mean... You don't need to eat a stargo to have a good meal. You can eat just regular food, you know, uh if you're as wealthy as that and then take the rest of the money and make it all philanthropic. Almost none of these guys who are the the socialist um you know, actor media people promoting socialism, they don't give away half of what they produce. And they could give away half of what they produce, you know what they earn, and still be wealthy. They want you to give away half of what you produce <laughs> that's what they want, and that will make they want to force their neighbor to contribute and always what happens is it puts pressure on the middle class, and the rich can usually get all the deductions they want i mean if you could... If you can afford to hire a lawyer or an accountant, uh, you can get out of a lot of taxes because it's I mean, it's geared that way. You know, rich people aren't as stupid as as poor people most of the time. But now, if you want to seek the kingdom of God, uh, you got to really wise up. You got to you got to step back and see the whole picture. You know, H.E. Wells actually said that he wrote a book called The Kingdom of God. "The, The New Deal is plainly an attempt to achieve a working socialism and avert a social collapse in America. It is extraordinarily parallel to the successive policies and plans of the Russian experiment. Americans shirk the word socialism. But what else can one call it? Yeah, the New Deal was socialism. But even before that, like I said, we we saw socialism creeping into all sorts, you know, public schools, socialism. As with the Christian religion, uh, George Orwell said, the worst advertisement for socialism is its adherence. In the people who want to be socialists, or the people who are already are socialists, they are the worst advertisement for socialism. He uh, he equates that though he says the Christian religion, as with the Christian religion, but of course he's talking about modern Christian religion. The modern Christian is not doing what the early Christian was doing. The early Christian, there was all kinds of welfare all throughout Rome, but the early church would not avail itself of that welfare. They would not sign up at the temples for that welfare. Those are public temples again. Your welfare office is the temple where you practice religion. What you you pay in uh, to Social Security that's your religion. That's not for your old age pension. And besides, that money's going to be gone by the time you're old enough to collect anything. It's going to be the workers who are working. When you turn 65 or maybe 70, they'll probably up the age. It's, it's those uh, people that are going to pay. It's not you. Your money is already being spent. It's not invested somewhere. It's already being spent because you're in a Corbin system of social welfare. It is a Corbin system based on covetousness, based on force. And because of that, it makes the word of God to none effect. It is the parasitical system of Corbin. And it leads you to do no more off for your parents instead of, You taking care of your parents by going out and working, yeah, as a slave, yeah, with a social security number, instead of you going out and working, you're living off your parents. You need not to do that. You need to go out and make a living and take care of your parents. That will draw you closer to the kingdom than anything you can imagine. It means a lot of work. We've been lazy. We need to turn around and go the other way. We need to try to... take. Okay, your parents don't want your help. So take what you would have given to your parents and help somebody else out with it. And become the social welfare of a society that you create as a product of your own labor. Remember, capitalism... You have a right to what you produce, right? That's what capitalism is. And and Jesus was clearly a capitalist. He has this whole proverb about the guy with one talent and two talents and three talents and uh, the guy who did nothing. He not only had what he had taken away from him, but he was cast into utter darkness. We have, to, we have to think a different way. That's what repentance is all about. Capitalism allows you to own what you produce with your own labor. But you must also labor to wisely share what you produce. Otherwise, what you produce may end up owning you. And what you produce is a socialist state a totalitarian socialist state It takes from you whatever you produce and gives it to others. It will also provide for you. But if you want something different, you have to create it yourself. And you create it by coming together and caring about other people as much as you care about yourself. And you say, well, we're in a congregation, but hardly anybody needs anything because everybody is so independent and, uh, and uh, such individualists. Well, then start caring about people you don't even know. I mean, it's easy to love those who love you. Can you love those who you don't even know? Can you give to those who you don't even know? Can you cast your bread upon the waters and, and with nothing but the hope that it might come back to you? These are the principles of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Socialism is the antithesis of that. Now, if you're in a socialist state, pay your taxes. But at night, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Theodore Roosevelt said, The first requisite of a good citizen in this republic, and this is Theodore Roosevelt, this is a long ways into it, Well, you already had a socialist army that was supported by taxation. See, in the Bible, you're not to have that. You're not to have a central bank. You're not to have an army that's a professional army. If you say, well, how could we, you know, look, nobody could invade this country. Nobody could invade this country. And nobody would want to waste a nuclear bomb on this country. If everybody was actually what the statute says, you were the militia. People say, well, I'm not joining the militia. If you're between the ages of 17 and 45, you are the militia, according to the statutes of the United States. You don't have to join anything. You are the militia by that definition. That's the statutes of the United States. And if you're a U.S. citizen, you got a Social Security number, all that stuff, you're already a member of the militia. You don't have to. You've already joined, okay? Because it doesn't say those who join the National Guard or those who join. As a matter of fact, if you join the National Guard, you can't be a member of the militia because you can't be a member of two different military organizations. <laughs> now, you may have a very unorganized militia. You I mean, you're all out there wandering around doing but that's what a militia was. And according to the Bible, that's how you defend your nation is with a militia, not a professional army. It's in Deuteronomy 17, 16. But you also, what organizes? What organizes that militia in peacetime? Your system of social welfare. Ten families get together, pick a minister. And they give to that minister so that he can implement the social welfare of your society, which includes not just the people in your congregation, but in the next congregation and the next congregation, and even the stranger in your midst, as well as the next town over, which is all about the red heifer. We explain all this over and over and over again in a hundred different ways. The preparing you and the audios and the videos that we offer you, you've got to figure it out. You got to figure out that society, in its natural state, is a republic where the leaders are only titular and don't exercise authority. You have to exercise responsibility. We'll be back and talk about that. In a moment. back to keys of the kingdom uh there is a call in number and those of you who are on the network which everybody should go and join the network and if you want to be a part of the living network join with a congregation if you want that congregation to care about you as much as you care about yourself then you need to show that caring by contributing to that congregation and picking ministers who do well with what you offer yeah, you're not going to, you know, you're taxed in your existing government 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%. And I'm not just talking income tax. You got property tax, sales tax, uh, you know, as well as the income tax and gasoline tax. And, and then everything costs more because everything that is produced is taxed and the labor is taxed, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the reality is, uh, all this, uh, all these, uh, uh, systems require funds in order to operate. And those funds come in many different forms, but basically they represent your sweat and blood. Your flesh and blood has been expended to accumulate whatever it is that you have. That is your blood sacrifice. And, and so the blood sacrifice Of the Pharisees was terminated with Jesus Christ, but the blood sacrifice was not terminated. It just comes in a different form. Anytime you give up your labor, your sweat, your toil, in any form, that is sacrifice. Sacrifice has not been done away with. Now, you're not going to earn your way into the kingdom, but if you don't have the works of Christ in you, if you're not gathering together to care and serve others, you're not coming in the name of Christ. you're not coming together in the name of Christ, you're not his church you're not certainly not his holy church, and you are still unrepentant. you haven't repented, therefore you get baptized it's just you're wet that's it you haven't you're not doing what the early church did. You're not doing what Christ said. You're not doers of the word. You're hearers of the word. And you go around with all your sanctimonious philosophies and, and theologies and eschatologies, and, but you're not doing what Christ said to do. And so you don't have any alternative but to take the mark of the beast and depend upon government handouts. They come to you because men who exercise authority one over the other have taken the flesh and blood of your neighbor, taken a bite out of your neighbor. And now all these zombies who have taken a bite out of one another made you greedy for taking a bite out of your neighbor. Well, they took from me. I should take back from them. Well, that's zombie land. They bit me, so I'm going to bite others. Zombie land. That's where you live. And, you know, zombies have a right to vote. And guess what zombies are going to do? They're going to vote in the king of zombies. <laughs> and you're going to be ruled by the king of zombies. I mean, it's like uh, demonic. It is demonic. It's satanic. Satan means the adversary. Adversary of what? Adversary of Christ. What is Christ? He came to serve. You don't come together to serve. You come to, what do I get? I I only go to this church because of what I get out of it. It makes me feel so good. I love the music. You shallow piece of garbage. (laughs) Why are you going to church for those reasons? Repent. Wake up. I'm slapping you across the face in case you haven't noticed. Uh, you need to gather together for the purposes of Christ, for the purposes of the early church, to care for one another and stop depending on the rest of society, uh, uh, the governments that have been created by a selfish, zombie society to provide for you. You say, well, I don't take any government benefits. You will you will get old, you will get tired, you will get, uh, no, I'll never take it. Uh, 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 uh. No, yes, you will. And maybe you won't, and you'll die alone. But you still won't be acceptable to God, as he'll say, look, I gave you talent. I, I gave you a talent. And what would you do with it? You just used it for yourself. You selfish little twit. I'm going to take your talent away from you. And I'm going to cast you into other darkness. You need to be investing in the kingdom of God. You need to be investing in one another, helping one another. I don't care how small you start out. If you won't even gather together to start tithing, you know, 20 bucks a week, a month, I don't care, something. Not to me. But to your local congregation, you say, well, I don't trust that minister. I don't think he's a saint. I don't think you're a saint. If only saints are going to gather together, <laughs> and there's not going to be a big crowd. That's for sure. You gather with what you've got, what God puts in front of you. The people who should be coming, all the religions of the world who claim to be religious, who claim to love God, They should be gathering and doing this, taking care of one another. And, you know, actually you see little evidence of the fact that some people are starting to wake up to this. They're not quite ready for being the entire social welfare of one another. Not quite ready. That's an exaggeration. They're not nearly ready. But that's where you need to know that you got to go because this system is going to fail. I'm not telling you not to pay your taxes. Pay your taxes, but whatever you have, share with others. Everybody can lower their standard of living a little bit and share something. I don't care if it's a penny. See, that's the that's beauty of it. It doesn't matter how much you give. The poor people have just as much chance of getting into the kingdom as the rich people. And the rich people are going to afford to give a lot more. You know, obviously, the rich man gave half of everything he had, but the widow gave only this little mite, but she gave all of what she had, who gave more, the widow or the rich man? The widow. So the rich man, if he wants to get up to the giving that the poor widow gave, he's got to give more than 50% of everything he has. But that's between him and God. I'm not making that rule up, but I tell you, there is a divine inference in this. Intervention in this. It's going to take a miracle to save you. If you want that miracle, you have to be like Christ. How much did Christ give? Did he give 50%? He was rich, remember. That's what it says in the Bible. It says, though he was rich, he made himself poor. Joseph of Arimathea, one of the richest men in all of the Roman Empire, was his uncle. You know how that works. If your uncle's that rich, he's gonna make the other members of his family rich. There's no reason to believe in the biblical text that Joseph was a humble carpenter. He was probably a fairly wealthy and I mean wealthy contractor. And he could pick up and go all the way down to Egypt. What did he do in Egypt? He was a big he had a contract. I mean, there are other stories about him building the throne of the Pharaoh. In Egypt, out of stone, not wood. Now, it didn't get into the Bible, but that was Eusebius who left that out. And Eusebius worked for Caesar. He was an employee of the Constantine, who was a murderer all of his life. So, you know, it's, it's really very simple. You don't need to know all this historical information, although we share it, tons of it. If you want to make this a call-in show, join the network, and we'll we'll keep you informed as to what uh, the number is. We may create other call-in shows. We've got another show on this afternoon. And uh, we'll take calls, and we'll answer your questions. We'll get into individual counseling. And we have to do that rather than people call me all the time because I just don't have that many hours in the day. But that's why we have this network of ministers. Do they know everything? No. But they're learning. We meet every week. Some of us do. Some of us don't show up. <laughs> but that's their choice. That's the darndest thing of a voluntary society of people seeking the liberty under God is they have a right to choose To take on the responsibilities of the roles and the righteousness of the roles of ministers to the people for in a government of the people for the people and by the people. That's the way it works. They have the right to choose, but people should choose wisely. So, the same as Theodore Roosevelt said, you can apply this to today. The first requisite of a good citizen in the republic of ours, not his republic, is that he shall be able and willing to pull his own weight. Well, the same, if if Israel was a republic, and the the church by historians like uh, Edward Gibbons referred to the early church, the early church was before Constantine, was a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire, then the first requisite, if we're going to apply that quote from Theodore Roosevelt, of that republic, the, the Christian republic established by Jesus Christ when he said to the apostles, I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my father has appointed unto me. I mean, people are going around thinking Israel is the kingdom of God, you know, and, and to support Israel and, you know, build the temple and all these kinds of things. No. The church is Israel. Yeah, I know that's not what you want to think, but that that is the case. The church is the kingdom of God. He said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. Who's he talking to? The Pharisees, who were Jews. A lot of them were Jews. Some of them were Edomites, but there were Jews there. And he says, I'm going to appoint it to another. And who did he appoint it to? The apostles, who were Jews who referred to the Jews that were still showing up at the temple, because now the apostles were showing up at the temple. As a matter of fact, they were working daily in the temple, according to the Bible. They were the kingdom of God, though. The others who were showing up and claiming to be the kingdom of God and rebelling against Rome, those where the synagogue is saying, the congregation is saying, the congregation of the adversaries of God. And why were they the adversaries of God? Because they had a system of social welfare called Corbin that made the word of God to none effect. Not that Corbin makes the word of God to none effect, but their system of sacrifice, that's what Corbin means, made the word of God to none effect. Your system of social security, social welfare, government-controlled socialist welfare is making the word of God to none effect. You want to make the word of God to, to effect in your life? You have to repent and start becoming the social welfare of somebody. And you say, well, who? Well, go out in the hedges and look for them. And and give, learn what it means to give according to the name of Christ. Responsibly give to one another. You don't know how to do that. You don't know how to be free or live in a free government. You don't know how to live in a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. You haven't been practicing it. So you need to practice it. I don't care with who. You'll figure that out. That's between you and God and whoever it is you gather with. But don't throw up your hands and leave because somebody doesn't agree with your particular eschatology of religion. You continue to care about one another. I'm here for everybody who will gather in such a way. I haven't left. I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't got preoccupied with doing this, that, and the other thing. You know, I'm not going to save the world. I can't save the world. It's already saved. But Jesus died that ye might be saved. You want access to the word, Jesus Christ, the word of God. You have to repent. You have to become the Corbin of Christ because the Corbin of the Pharisees makes the word of God do none effect. So you say, oh, I don't pay into that system. Okay, what system do you pay into? Well, I don't pay into anything. I I help out people I meet, you know well, then you're not seeking the kingdom of God. You're just seeking the kingdom of yourself. That's not going to get you the miracles. God's not going to hear you. You're on your own, buddy. You need to come together. You need to show up for one another. Because they created this system of capitalism and charity that they called Israel, the place where God prevailed, They were invincible as a people because God was on their side, not because they were so tough, although they were pretty tough, but because God was on their side. God's not on your side. it's not on the side of America or Australia or Canada because these have been making the word of God to none effect through their socialist states and through their benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. And it's time to repent. And seek. Now remember that's what it says, repent. That's think a different way. And seek. That means do. You have to put your faith in action. And if you're not gonna put your faith in action, I you know, I don't I don't know what I could do for you. I don't know how I can help you. I I don't know how you you can be saved. Because you're turning your back on Christ. You're turning your back on God by electing a man who could exercise authority one over the other, thinking that somehow this guy could fix it. That's what they thought about Saul. He could not fix it. He actually made it worse. It doesn't really matter who you elect. Unless you repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, gather together, and gather together not just with your local congregation, but with other congregations. I encourage all the congregations out there to have visiting congregation calls where you invited another congregation to your call. And you have to really give because you're going to give everything up anyway because you're going to lose everything anyway. Might as well give it up so that God will be on your side. Start contributing one to another start showing turning your love into action turning your faith into action do you believe in the system of god the kingdom of god that's what the kingdom of god is it's the system of god and it has to incorporate righteousness which means you have to give now when you give and you find out that what was given was not given wisely given to the wrong guy or the guy didn't know how to use it right Rebuke him. If he listens, continue to give to him. If he doesn't, then give to somebody else. But if you're not giving life, don't expect God to give you more life. If you're not investing in others like the man with the talent, don't expect to even keep the talent you have. Expect to lose it. And expect to be cast into utter darkness. Because that's what Jesus said. That's what he was explaining that you, you're not following Jesus because you believe, unless your belief also includes the works of the early church, what the early church was doing. Because otherwise your belief is dead. You cannot just think as thought and save yourself. You must be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, not a yes man for Christ. But a doer of the word. That's the way it works. It doesn't work any other way. If you go go to preparing you, we've got lots. of... I've added lots of pages this week. I've uh, uh, expanded a lot of information. Added graphics to pages, uh, and uh, you know we have. Uh, uh, article on the Mark of the Beast, detailed study of the Mark of the Beast. Um, you know, we have, and, and all these pages have been livening up the links so that if you don't know meaning of words like religion, capitalism, socialism, democracies, republics, uh, we have an extensive tools for learning. Anarchy as another government. Did you know that Jesus Christ, Moses, Abraham, well, all anarchists, you know, that's why he, Abraham left Ur and left Haran. Is because he was an anarchist. He didn't, he, he wasn't against government. He was against men who exercised authority. So he created altars of stone. And because they, and, and I was going to mention this, that it, you know, back when I was telling the story of Sodom at the beginning of this show, which we're almost at the end now, but they, uh, they captured all the stuff of value in Sodom. They captured some of the people and took them away, including Lot. Abraham wanted to go save Lot. He had every right to save Lot. This wasn't an exercise of force. This is an exercise of responsibility to save Lot, free Lot. He went after these thieves. And all of his, the people that he had helped set up altars with joined him. And they were able to defeat the army overnight. And he wouldn't take any of the stuff. He was setting all the people free. They could go back to Sodom. They could go back to Gomorrah. That they want. But he didn't want the stuff. He just came to set them free. He wouldn't touch a buckle. Of Of this uh, booty that he did this, but why did these men come and join them? Why did they suddenly drop everything they had when this army is leaving, and gird themselves with sharp objects, swords, and spears, run across the desert, risk their life for Abraham because Abraham taught them how to build altars of stone and burn up sheep. No. He taught them the ways of the kingdom of God that passed from generation to generation. These are also people who did not live in city-states, who had systems of social welfare that took care of their local community but also helped out people like Abraham and even the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, when they were unjustly attacked and and, uh, robbed, they came to their aid. Because it was the nature of these altars that you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. These were systems of social welfare. If you don't want to accept that, I can't fix stupid, because the evidence is there all over in the Bible that they weren't just barning up sheep. Read our article on sophistry. Read the book, That Kingdom Comes. Free online. We give all this stuff away free. There are other guys out there charging you $1,000 for this packet of freedom. $2,000. I've seen $10,000 for a land packet, a patent packet. Rip off, rip off, rip off. I've, I've exposed the guys who are ripping people off, and they people sided with the guys that were ripping them off until they and then when they were finally discovered that they were ripped off they wouldn't even come and testify against these guys because they were so embarrassed they didn't care about others as much as they cared about themselves they should die alone and and without anyone to care for them Because they've lived their life without caring for other people. Oh, a little bit, a little token charity here and there. Oh, yeah, great. No. You haven't repented. You haven't turned around. You're not thinking like Christ. You haven't come in the name of Christ. That's a huge thing. Christ gave everything. His wealth, his life, his blood. Every drop. That's seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness. If you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. I don't care how much you tell me you believe in Jesus. You don't really believe in Jesus if you don't forgive. I mean, how can you not forgive and say you believe in Jesus? But if you don't give, neither will you be given to. You have to give. You have to give of your time, your energy, your life, your flesh, your blood. And God will take note. And God will make it right. Till then. Peace on your house. And may God be
2: with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom, dot is holy